wait, that's a real thing? I thought they just made it up for the movie. And I was like, nope, it's your birthday. It's a real thing. Hello, and welcome to the Eurowhat, episode number 122 for the week of May 24th, 2021. I'm Ben Smith, and I'm joined today by Mike McComb. Hey, Mike. Hello. And our special guest, Ryan Brazell. Hi, Ryan. Hey. We are a group of Americans trying to make sense of the Eurovision Song Contest, and this week we'll be talking about what happened at the 2021 Eurovision Song Contest. Welcome back, Ryan. Yeah, thank you. It's really good to be here. I did not realize how much I had missed Eurovision until it started. I basically just had goosebumps and almost cried for the first 10 minutes of the show. So that's how it went for me. <laughs> Yay. I mean, not not about the like the crying part, but... <laughs> I had the weird almost crying moment this week during San Marino during semifinal tour. I'm just like, why am I crying about Florida? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so many reasons you could be crying about Florida. Oh, yeah. yeah. You picked a good year to come back to the contest. You took some time off after the 2018 edition, is that right? Yeah, I didn't participate for political reasons in 2019. And that year, I only watched the grand final. I now feel a lot more empathy for my friends who only watch the grand final because it is frankly really overwhelming to go in and only be faced with the spectacle to have no idea who anybody is or what any of the songs are, right? I know that the Netherlands won the last contest, but in my head, what that means is that Waylon won the contest with Outlaw in him, which was a song I loved. I know we had very different opinions on this panel at the time, but <laughs> that was a song I loved. And also like that was the year that Portugal went from first to worst. They won the contest and then placed last in the final. And Alexander Ryback was in that contest. Eurovision was a very different place in 2018 than in 2021. So it was a little bit of whiplash for me to come back to it having missed a year. Yeah, a lot has happened since then. Uh, so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I had two years of, of pent up Eurovision energy that I thought I was expressing on a week to week basis via this podcast, but apparently not. Mm -hmm. <laughs> at the end of Eurovision 2021, I was just real tired, but happy tired, because we, we have a winner. We know who is the successor, and the successor is Italy. <laughs> Everyone is in horny jail. Italy is the winner. Chaos reigns. Yeah. I, I have been joking about the eight-hour Eurovision experience we're going to get next year, just having seen 1991 now. Mm -hmm. And I'm just ready for it. I'm not mad about Italy. Italy was not my pick. They were never really my pick. I've mm. loved their song from very early, probably the first time I listened to it. But yeah, I'm not mad about it. Overall, I was pretty happy with how the contest turned out. Even looking at the top 10, I'm like, yeah, okay. I have a couple of disagreements here and there, but generally speaking, I'm on board. What were your picks? The way that I approached Eurovision this year was to only listen to the audio. Like in past years, I would research the people and watch all the videos and all that. And this year I was going to ease myself back in. 
So I only listened to the audio. Before either of the semifinals, I did my rankings. For example, in semifinal one, I had Russia down at 14th place, which within 10 seconds of seeing her start performing, I was like, nope, I'm on board. (laughs) Um, Actually, for semifinal one, my first couple of picks, I actually had Romania at the top with Amnesia, which Mm. that was a terrible performance, but we can get into that later. Uh, Ukraine, I always loved from the very beginning. I loved Finland. I loved Estonia. Iceland and Denmark going much more towards the weird. In, a little more than I think I normally do. I think I'm always a fan of the Eurovision weird, but this year it was much more that. Ukraine was sort of the early leader for me in terms of who I wanted to win. Awesome. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> you are in good company. Uh, yep. Hello. Welcome. <laughs> With the grand final, who did you land on as the one that you were rooting for? I didn't do picks before that just because I didn't have time, but basically I was going in hoping for Ukraine, Russia, really popped up to the top of my list, Lithuania, who I originally liked ironically, but then was like, no, I legitimately like this song a lot. The one that really surprised me after the semifinals that jumped up was Switzerland. I just wanted to hug him and floof his hair. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he does have very <laughs> floofable hair. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I just wanted to hug him the whole time. So Switzerland really popped up there for me. So Ukraine, Russia, Lithuania, Switzerland, and Iceland were my top five. And I wasn't sure who I wanted to actually win going into it, but I wanted them all to do really well. And they did. Yeah. So I was pretty happy with that. And Ben, how how did your picks shake out? I mostly spent the majority of the scoring alternately hoping that it wasn't going to be a slow song this year because it did feel like we were going to potentially have a slow song winner again. Uh, And also very frequently typing into the Discord where I was hosting a virtual Eurovision party this year. Guys, this is only the first half of the votes. This is only the first half of the votes. We still have the televote. Please stop freaking out about Switzerland and France. It's fine. It's fine. I know that they were not the favorites in the room. It's fine. What were the favorites in your room? Iceland, across the board. Iceland, Ukraine, things that had like a a great sense of the stage, a great sense of visual spectacle. There was a general feeling like we should like the Switzerland song, but also not quite getting what was going on with the staging. Yeah, that didn't really stop me. I have no idea what was going on in that song really at all. I think Switzerland this year was a great example of having a really strong performer selling the song can go a really long way to making it popular and well-received. There were a few people in my virtual Eurovision party that really loved Germany. And I was like, oh, you sweet summer children. (laughs) This is not going to end well for you. I'm sorry. That, oh God. I, the first time I ever listened to that song all the way through was during the grand final. I had never listened to it all the way through. I always would get sick of it at about a minute and a half through. I was like, nope, I can't do this. It sounds like something that Mr. Shoe would rap on Glee. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I can't tell how it played in my room. We did have a small gathering of folks. Like, I'm fully vaccinated. A lot of our friends are fully vaccinated. So th- this was a, a, a safe gathering of folks to watch the contest. And a lot of people in the room thought that Gendrick was very cute. And I think that's what they got out of the performance. I don't think they actually liked the song. I have our combined ballots here. Malta was our winner, followed by the Netherlands and Italy. So that that was our top three. But it seemed like there was pretty widespread in terms of which ones got votes from people. What One of our guests... Like, I think before they started, my husband said to him, oh, yeah, Finland is not going to be for you. New metal is just not his thing. He ended up giving it points because he's like, yeah, he they did really well for like their genre of music. And I was like, oh, that's really cool. Their ambassadorship is working. Just like that you were giving a Eurovision concierge experience in your 
party of just like you're you're not gonna like this one it's fine we try to be good hosts so <laughs> that's right i didn't do it this year because i just felt like it was going to be too much social uh, you know whatever but normally i go through the running order and i let people know like y'all are probably going to want to use this as a bathroom break uh this year i didn't have that party but i definitely had one slotted for myself so i sort of planned out my evening accordingly yeah there were a couple of times where it's like well i know that this is going to be a bathroom break performance and so like i, I will take advantage of that but hopefully that's not going to telegraph it to other people that it's like yeah you can you can skip this one so (laughs) (laughs) exactly so let's talk about some statistics about the grand final and let's start with the depressing one thomas raggy is the first eurovision winner born in the 2000s (sighs) the cruel hand of time comes for us all Uh, just slapping us right across the face all right (laughs) uh more exciting news uh is the first band to win since lordy in 2006 Diving into our scores, the jury winner was Switzerland. The jury really did love them. And Italy was the public winner. I think that's the moment that we knew, oh, it might be Italy when they got 318 points from the public. That was a good moment. It was nerve wracking because it was just there was so few points given out at the bottom of the scoreboard that it's like, okay, there are going to be some big numbers here, but there's so much math to try to keep track of in your head. It's like, okay, there's probably a couple hundred points, but how much is a couple hundred here? When the 318 happened, I was like, there can't be enough votes left for either of the two remaining songs to have beaten it. This has to be the winner. Every year, I think that I'm going to go through and I'm going to figure out exactly how many points are available so that I'll know five seconds before they announce or something. You know, the way that they do the vote announcing they've changed it again haven't they because i think in 2016 when they started the split votes i believe they were doing it by the least number of points received from the public not the least number of votes that received from the juries right so that's a subtle change right i think it was in 2018 that they made that switch where they're starting at the bottom of the scoreboard and working their way up it's really good stagecraft. I definitely was on my toes for that whole last part. It's very good stagecraft. I like that it let us give Finland a moment of being on top and Iceland a moment of being on top. Agree. Although it was really rough at the bottom. There's got to be a way that we can twiddle the knob from where it is now, where it's not all the way back to, to 2016, where it's kind of all over the place and hard to follow. There's got to be a way to make it a little bit gentler because I like the drama of it. I like the it's good television but maybe only for the top 10 go in order. I don't know if there is a way that you can soften four countries not getting points from the public. <laughs> like that that was Ooh. shocking, but not surprising. I, yeah. I don't know how to describe it because like when it happened with the UK like, and that they the UK did not get any points from the jury, I thought they would have gotten either pity or strategic points from the jury. I was crouched in my chair being like, oh no, they're not going to get anything from the public, are they? Oh no, oh no, oh no. And then it happened. And I was just like, oh, I was not expecting that and was just mortified. Same. And then for it to immediately be followed by three zero points, I was just saying out loud in my living room things that I can't repeat on air. Yeah. (laughs) Because I was just, just in shock. All four of the countries who got null points were part of the big five plus the host, right? And I think there's really something, especially with the UK's performance, the people that I watched this with, we were sort of talking about it and his voice sounded 
off in the way that everybody else's voices sounded in both of the semifinals. That was one big thing I noticed this year was that everybody seemed a little pitchy, a little off in their semifinals. And then one after one, there were a few exceptions like Moldova. But in general, I felt like everybody just nailed it in the grand finals. Whatever their issue was, whether it was nerves, whether it was their inner monitor, whatever it was, they have the rehearsals and stuff. But I think they really suffer from not getting a first performance so they can sort of work out those nerves and work out those really small technical details that you can only experience while on the stage with an audience. And I think that makes a really big deal. And I think for the UK, it did. I actually really liked the UK's entry for the first time in a while. I never super love their entries. Sometimes I'm okay with them. I really loved Lucy Jones a few years ago. But I was surprised to see the UK get zero. I laughed because I was like, of course, the UK finds a way to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory every single time. Germany, I was not surprised by. Spain, I was surprised by. The Netherlands, I was surprised by. Not shocked. It was one of those like, oh, I expected it to get something. Netherlands, I was surprised that it didn't get more from the jury because that felt like a very jury-friendly song. For Netherlands, I think they were in a really bad position. I said in our preview episode that I thought it was a little too late in the lineup, but they drew that position, so there was nothing that could be done about that. Like, I I think if it were a little bit earlier in the lineup, it would have allowed for a little time for it to sink in and people to be like, oh, yeah, that really was a good one. And also going right before Italy probably didn't help it all that much. Like with Germany, that was a tough performance to watch just because you could feel how uninterested the audience was in that performance like the silence was hostile (laughs) and it was like that in the jury show too where it's like oh this is going over like a lead balloon props to Jendrick for pushing through that performance as if nothing was wrong that was impressive to see even though the song was a mismatch for this year i think that's Mm -hmm. a nice way of putting it (laughs) yes but yeah there was just no engagement in the room no so some other exciting things san marino got a 12 points from the jury that's i was so delighted when that happened sunit has been living her best life every time she's on camera she is just beaming she is so happy to have florida there i'm just so happy that they got a 12 points we are nowhere near trying to stage eurovision in valentina Mineta's backyard but yeah i was disappointed with how few points it got from the public vote but i again i think it was just a case of it was post italy and everybody was on the come down and it was the last song to go and people just like all right ready to move on to the next phase and get this show on the road. I think that was another one that would have benefited from an earlier position in the lineup. It it felt more like an opener than a closer. Agree. I I maybe would have swapped San Marino and Cyprus. And of course, we know they couldn't do that because they drew for first half and second half. But that Cyprus felt like it would have been a much better closer than opener and San Marino up top. Yeah, the the only real complaint I have about San Marino is that I kind of wish it had been Valentina that had gotten that 12, just because she's put in her time. Yeah. Right? She, (laughs) ooh, God bless Valentina Moneta. At this point, San Marino has an established bench of performers. Sir Hat has gone a couple times. Yeah. Uh, Sunit has been at bat a couple times. Maybe it's time for time number five for Valentina. Let's do it. Or they put together a super group and the three of them go together wherever it is in Italy. Because, you know, it's, could be a short commute right if, it, if it ends up being in like Bologna or something like yeah I'm, just, I'm, I'm sure they can all meet up and... I'm just gonna pitch <laughs> this to the room now Valentina Mineta featuring Migos one of them has already been at the contest <laughs> <laughs> maybe this time he'll remember where he is there you go give me more San Marino plus random rap feature I'm here for it it was a lot of fun this time agree It was also Finland's best non-winning placement. It is the second time they've reached sixth, but other than winning, that is the best Finland's done. So 
Congrats to Blind Channel. Finland was an early favorite for me. It, it, it immediately sounded like Linkin Park, right? And I was just like, yep, I'm here for whatever this song is. They stirred up a little bit of controversy. Are they going to flip people off on the stage, right? You know, you, you always got to have some kind of story about are people really going to do this on stage? You know, is, is what's his name from Belarus going to walk on naked with wolves or yeah. whatever? <laughs> <laughs> so I, I appreciate that addition to the Eurovision season. They were one of my favorite presences during all of the rehearsals. They gave really good interviews. They seemed like a really nice group of guys. On the turquoise carpet event last week, somebody was asking about the middle finger thing. And one of them said, like, well, we're following the rules, which was obvious side eye towards uh, Germany. And I love the fact that the two of them were placed next to each other in the lineup. And you're like, no, this is how you do the middle finger shtick. You know? <laughs> I, I saw that. And I was like, a producer had fun with this. And it's probably the same one who stuck ticks next to El Diablo in semifinal one. Mm-hmm. I see your work and I appreciate it. Yes. Um, <laughs> and then just one more fun fact before we dive into the semis now that we have the stats there. Edenaline's whistle note is the highest note ever hit on the grand final stage. Impressive. Mm-hmm. I would be shocked if it weren't, actually. But that's good for her. Mm-hmm. I mean, she had great command over that whistle range. So good for her. Yeah. And every time that she delivered the note and just gave the face, it was just like, oh, you only want me to go this high? Because I can probably go higher. Oh, this? Throughout rehearsals, at least the ones that uh, were viewable through the press center, she only missed the note once, and that was from getting kicked off wrong and the breathing getting out of rhythm. Every other time was just as flawless. So let's dive into the semis now that we we have all the data. So with semifinal one, Malta was the overall winner. They won the jury overwhelmingly. It was no contest there. On the public side, Ukraine did end up sneaking into first place. They were 13 points ahead of Malta. Croatia missed qualifying by only five points. And it's the first time that a song has placed in the top 10 for both the split jury vote and televote, but did not advance. I guess that is mathematically possible to happen, which is unfortunate for Croatia to prove that possibility. Romania was also in the jury top 10. Azerbaijan and Norway were not. I think that matches how we called things. I I think that, yeah, I think that matches things. Yeah, so we weren't totally off base there. Malta overall averaged 21.66 points per country. They received points from all countries in the jury and televote. They definitely won the semifinal. Ukraine, Russia, and Cyprus received televote points from all the countries. And Ireland finished last, which is the second time in a row that they finished last in their semifinal. Sorry, Ireland. I liked the idea of that performance, but there was something about it on semifinal one night when it was finally happening. I'm like, oh, no, this isn't clicking. It took me a long time to figure out why I hated it so much, because I actually liked the song decently well enough. But I think it was something about the lighting. It felt like she was constantly backlit just a touch and so it made her face look very spiky like it just made her face look angular in a way that with then all of the sort of angularness of the staging felt kind of menacing and i was like that's really not what the song is trying to get across it felt like that whole thing was rushed and i i still don't know what happened before their performance there was a two minute delay before their performance in the semifinal. one of the cameras broke down so i think they had to do a lot of last minute shuffling there. I have to imagine that that's exactly what you do not want to have happen before you perform for votes. I think she performed it well, given that circumstance. I admire Ireland's ambition with that performance, but it just didn't work. And I'm not sure if it was something that would work. It felt a little too complex for this particular competition. It also made me think of the time, Mike, you were in person when Finland, the opening of their show, Mm -hmm. 
right, this was Monsters with uh, Sarah Alto. The first minute of the song, the audience couldn't see. You can only see on the screens, right? That you couldn't watch it live. And I kind of wonder whether that component, because, you know, if when the camera pulled back and you could see all the different things she was moving through on the stage, it felt like something the audience live couldn't really engage with in the same way as Italy's performance, which he also came on from backstage, but with a camera following him. It felt like maybe it was too geared towards the television audience that they sort of overcorrected on that a little bit. Yeah, especially with the way it was all set up, because you do get that overhead shot of where all of the pieces were on the stage. I think there was only one side of the arena that would have been able to see what was happening on stage and make sense of it. But I don't think there were any people sitting in that side of the arena since it was such a small capacity crowd. Given that smaller capacity, like if this was the year to try and do something a little bit more in camera, this was the time to try and do that. But I'm still not sure how well that works for an event that needs to be both live and television. I was really disappointed in Romania's vocal performance. I had that sort of at the top because I was really digging that song just before the semifinal started. And that just completely turned me off that song. It just, it was kind of terrible. I was disappointed in that. I'm not surprised that they didn't qualify. Yeah, she was really struggling throughout rehearsals. I think part of it is it's such a physical performance. I think nerves also kicked in. And she mentioned in a couple of interviews that she was just kind of overwhelmed during the first rehearsal of just the magnitude of the situation. And then Mm -hmm. I think it was just an uphill battle after that. Yeah, I think of the performers, Roxanne is on the greener side in general. I can see that being very overwhelming and sort of throwing her off her game. I also um, wanted to say about Malta, I have never super been on board. I liked the Maltese song. I think Destiny has an incredible voice and she's a great performer. I didn't love the way that the staging, it felt a little too close to Netta and Toy and it felt really visually flat. There wasn't a lot of depth of field except towards the end. For the first half of the performance, it feels like all of the shots are just square on center. And so everything just felt very collapsed and flat. And I think that was probably what they were going for, but it just felt like too much. And so I got really burnt out on the visuals before it got to the point where we could see more of the stage and have the moving cameras. It fell a little flat for me visually. I get that. It really did read as two-dimensional compared to a lot of the other performances. Like I think of Grease's performance where there's all sorts of movement around the stage and they really are using it as a 360-degree space. And Malta didn't take advantage of that. Malta had so many problems and it really felt like They needed to get out of their own way before they arrived in Rotterdam, and they were completely incapable of doing that. Like in the very first rehearsal for Malta, she was wearing a hot pink outfit just like her dancers, and it was a lime green background for most of it. And I don't know if it was the lime green so so they could do chroma key stuff behind her, and it was just like a technical thing that they were working out in the rehearsal, but. Hot pink on lime green is a very strong color combination at the end of a very long day. (laughs) And and then, like, the part that really bugged me about that performance was at the end of the song where she says, excuse my French, that's backing track. And she's pretty much lip syncing that part. Mm -hmm. This is a song that doesn't have a very clearly defined moment. Like, there are some power notes and stuff, but that was going to be it. And it's on backing track. As soon as that happens, like, oh, Malta's out. There's no way this can win. Obviously, she did not win. But I I mean, I think that that's why she's much lower on the scoreboard than I think people 
were expecting. Admittedly, I'm not Sasha Jean-Baptiste. I don't have the same consulting fees, but like, close up on her face. Excuse my French. We cut to a wide shot. Rain of sparks. Cut, print, done. I really do think Malta could have won this, but I hope she comes back. That was my biggest worry about the whole Malta situation. We're just like, oh, I hope she's not having a terrible time and is regretting doing Eurovision because I think she's an amazing performer and I think she could win it from Malta. Destiny is a star and like there's the development deal behind her to prove it. Like she's signed with Sony now, I think. So like Mm -hmm. she is going to be a star. We are going to know who she is. Hopefully she comes back to Eurovision unless she's now too big for Eurovision, which I am also okay with. So (laughs) she did not look pleased through that, through the end of that voting. I was like, oh, she's not happy, (laughs) which uh, understandably, right? She wanted to win in uh, some timelines, probably could have won, but just not this timeline. Let's talk about semifinal two. So the overall winner there was Switzerland, who was only three points ahead of Iceland. Switzerland was the jury winner. Finland was the public winner. There was not a bubble. We were wondering how close things were for Denmark. It was not close. Albania was 23 points ahead of them. Bulgaria received points from all of the countries in the jury and televote. Portugal received points from all the countries in the jury, which that felt like jury bait, so I'm not surprised. Iceland, Finland, and Switzerland received points from all of the countries in the televote. The thing that shocked me in looking through all the stats, Moldova was fourth in the televote and received 12 points from eight different countries. How? I (laughs) I want to know what Philip Kirkrov has been doing. Yeah, I mean, you could tell that that was his entry, even in the way that when they were cutting to the green room and people were waving flags, they were holding him in front of his face and her face. And it was like, that's the two of us. I liked the song I didn't love any of the performances. I just felt like the vocal performance was not good. I was shocked on Thursday when it got through because I thought that was a really bad vocal performance. What, the part where she squeaks out? Yeah! (laughs) (laughs) Props to Natalia for picking a note and sticking with it, but why that one? If you can do that, good for you. But if you have to stay perfectly still and not do a single other thing for the entirety of that, again, that's just not good stagecraft emote or something i'm not saying anybody needs to be doing complicated choreography while they're trying to hold a note that long but do something i'm still trying to figure out how this got 12s from eight very different countries like france was one of them Uh, like it was not block voting that was giving this 12 points and the thing that i have to wonder is if maybe it was the simplicity of the staging and doing a straightforward delivery of the song The second semifinal was pretty chaotic, and Mm -hmm. this might have been an island in a storm, uh, in a hurricane, if you will, because because that was in the mix as well. So, But yeah, that is shocking to me. Good for Moldova. And I guess, Ryan, have you not seen the music video for Moldova at all? I have not. I know that there were dancing ice cream cones, and I kind of wish that they had come into this performance. Like It would have been much more of a Eurovision performance with dancing ice cream cones. Yeah, I almost kind of want to pause right now so that you can go and watch the video and uh, (laughs) and then we can discuss. (laughs) We'll do that after the record. We'll do that afterwards. But I I, I agree with you that I could have used a dancing ice cream cone or three. Stick them on that fun little scrim screen on the catwalk. Give me like a fun, whimsical dancing ice cream cone somewhere, Moldova. Yeah, there was really nothing to convey the idea of sugar. But again, it just kind of goes into that straightforward performance I believe that they had said that the white square on the stage was to represent a sugar cube. Sure. Uh, (laughs) Which is the the sort of last minute response that you come up with when somebody asks you that on the red carpet. So why no sugar? No, no. I accept that retcon. So (laughs) exactly. Denmark was seventh in the televote. 
but did not have enough jury points to get through. The Czech Republic had zero in the televote. I like that song, but that was not a great performance of it. This is another song that I had ranked fairly highly. I had it on the bubble. I had it in uh, 11th place. That performance, it was cute. Like, he's adorable. I thought he was cute, but yeah, yeah, just definitely not enough. I expected semifinal two to be the much harder semifinal to get out of. And I think we did see that in some ways and didn't in others. Like, I, how did Bulgaria get through? I don't know. I don't understand that song. <laughs> I, I just, I don't understand. It was my favorite. It was Mike's favorite, but Ryan, I'm with you. I, I, I appreciate it as what it is most like, this is not for me. That kind of very slow ballad. I typically don't love at Eurovision. It's just not what I want to see when I'm at Eurovision. I want the big lights and the camp and the fire. So I think it's a partially a genre thing for me, but also some decisions. You're going to be on the stage in front of millions of people and you're going to wear your pajamas? Really? That's your choice? So I just think there were some choices there that... I didn't love. I guess we'll agree to disagree. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> Latvia came in absolute last place, and I will not hear of that for chaotic queen of Eurovision, Samantha Tina. On the other hand, that performance was kind of a mess. I generally love Latvia, especially when Aminata is involved, and she was one of the writers on this song. I think they really missed a lot of opportunities for the theme of their performance. If you're going to talk about a blood moon rising, there needs to be a blood moon. There needs to be some witches. There's got to be some howling wolves. There's an aesthetic that goes with that kind of song, and it was completely missing. If you had given me stagings and songs and asked me to match them, I would never have picked that staging for that song. I don't understand what they were going for. I'm kind of sad to see it last place because I think there were other songs that deserve to be in dead last place more than that song, but I, I'm not shocked to see that it did not do well. It's like the second that they saw that Spain had brought a six meter inflatable moon with them. Yeah. <laughs> just like wandered up and hey guys. Yeah. Yeah. And just add a red light onto it. I mean, come on. But seeing that performance for the first time, my immediate reaction was, oh, this is a love letter to all of the Samantha stands on Twitter because there were so many elements from her performance last year that were carried over, like the women wearing the visors and the robotic choreography. I didn't get the color scheme. That was a tough color scheme, that shade of green and the kind of dirty gold. I guess I, I just didn't get what the story of the song was from that performance. It, it was Samantha doing her own thing, which mm -hmm. I appreciate. But yeah, again, we are a very small subset of the overall Eurovision audience. So. Exactly. You, you can't do a performance for one specific strain of Eurovision Twitter. That will not get you the votes that you need. I said before that Switzerland was kind of a surprise for me out of this, that I liked the song, but really seeing the performance of it really killed it for me. Or Well, it... it he killed the performance, right? It was great. Another one for me was Portugal. I liked the song. This is a great song. I don't love it as a Eurovision entry. Starting with a, a smaller aspect ratio, starting in black and white, and then expanding and colorizing at the same time, it just was so effective as a staging device, right? It's a really easy sort of low-cost way to make your performance a little more compelling, I loved that. I thought that was amazing. And then, then it's just him standing and singing, basically, and showing off his incredible voice. I really loved that. That was also kind of low for me, maybe on the bubble to get out of the semifinal. But then after that performance, I was on board. Even now, I'm thinking about it. You know, as a musician, I tend to trust my skin because I get goosebumps when I really like something. And even now, just talking about it, I'm getting goosebumps thinking about the song. Oh, wow. So. We often talk about songs being radio-friendly. I think that performance was very tv 
friendly. And it, yes. uh, yeah, I, I, I think Portugal did a very good job of presenting this entry. I am not a fan of the song. Like, I've really kind of grown to actively dislike it. But I think as an entry, I think they did a very good job. And I'm eager to see what Portugal does in the future. I'm hoping that they're actually considering trying to be contenders over the next few years, because I, th- I think this is a good start to that path. It's also notable that that was the first time Portugal has ever sent an English language entry. And I've talked about this many times in the past with y'all, but I love entries that are not in English. I don't necessarily want them to give up on singing in Portuguese because I think it's important to have a variety of languages presented. And I love that the top three songs this year were all in non-English languages. I, I really appreciate that. So can they take that energy from this year's contest and then put it into a Portuguese language song in the future. The song they won with also, I think, had really compelling staging. Capture that energy and keep doing that. Yeah, it would actually be kind of interesting if Portugal experimented with the system that Iceland has, where you have to do the semifinal in Icelandic, but then you can choose to switch to English for the final. But if you switch to English, no take backs. (laughs) Yeah. Switch to English or switch to some sort of combo of the two, Mm -hmm. which Speaking of ice skin, can we talk about the fact that they came in fourth from their hotel room? I am so happy for them. Devastated is strong, but I was close to devastated when I heard that they were not going to be able to perform live. Last year, I feel like they could have won and then the contest gets canceled. And then this year they come in with a new song that's almost as good, which is just incredible to be able to do. And then to have your staging, to have everything working. And then at the last minute, one or two people test positive for COVID. Oh, my heart broke for them. I agree with them that their semifinal performance was really good and compelling. I just wish we could have seen it live. There's nothing like performing in front of an audience. And I I, I wanted that for them. I would have loved to see how that would have done with them live in the room. Just because I think that would have added the extra oomph. And I think they were still in contention. I'm not sure ultimately they would have past Italy because that just had such momentum. Yeah, although like having that live audience, like I think would have made a huge difference, particularly with the way that the green room was set up. And that is something that I hope they consider keeping for the next few Eurovisions, having everybody there together and celebrating and supporting each other. That I think was my favorite part of this entire Eurovision season was just seeing everybody standing on the couches in their respective pods and jumping up and down, singing along, dancing, having the best concert experience. I think that kind of energy would have helped elevate Iceland that much more. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I agree about the positioning sort of, it would suck to give up that floor space because it's also nice to have a lot of fans and seeing how they react in that space. But I do love that the artists were there on the floor of the stage and like seeing them all get up like during Finland's performance I was like yeah because you can hear a little bit you know like that was an early clue in 2014 for Conchita Verse when you could hear the entire arena singing along it was like oh yep. this one's gonna do mm-hmm. really well and I think being able to not only hear that but see that and see who other musicians think is good yeah I, I think I agree Mike that I would love to see that continue into the future yeah and from the television perspective as much as I love having fans on the floor in that space not having cool staging stuff blocked by a flag was just delightful we're seeing what we're supposed to be seeing not not somebody blocking it with with a flag which I love the flags I love that we're celebrating the various nations and not really an opportunity for there to be a stage invader there was a minute at the end of Cyprus's performance where one of her dancers ran over like oh no there's a stage invader how <laughs> I am sad that Denmark did not 
qualify. I believe the entire internet supports you in that. Yeah. Because <laughs> that, that has been the one takeaway from watching Eurovision Twitter this week is that Denmark was robbed. I would have put them in instead of Bulgaria. Sorry, Mike. Um, or, or, or perhaps we can agree on Denmark instead of Moldova. Yes. On the night, that was my swap. I was like, why is, why is Moldova here? Why is Denmark not here? I don't know who I would have swapped out. This was just such a strong overall field. And I think both semifinals, even though there were problems with some of the performances, I think everybody did a fantastic job. And this was a very difficult field to parse. In the grand scheme of Eurovisions, how would this rank for you? I thought this was a really incredible contest. My real first entry into Eurovision was 2007 with that madcap year. I want to say that this is one of my favorites because it felt like even the sort of not great ones that I didn't love were really well done. Mm -hmm. Everybody sort of brought their A game. There weren't any that I felt like, uh, well, with the exception of perhaps Germany. There weren't any that I was like, ah, you should maybe go home and think about what you've done. <laughs> Looking at the grand final in the lineup, I was like, man, there's a song or two that I'm going to skip and use as bathroom breaks because I don't like them, but I know a lot of people do. Belgium was another one of those that I was like, what is this song? Uh, okay, a lot of people love it. Great. Good for them. I would say this is maybe top three. I would put 2016 pretty gosh darn near the top, mm. in part because I was on board with Ukraine from the first second I heard right. it. So I was very happy to see my pick win. But yeah, I would say this would be top three Eurovision contests for me that I've seen. I'm probably in that same boat because I'm literally just looking through previous contests, just thinking about what I've been watching since roughly 2008. This is, I think, one of my favorites since 2014, because like 2014 was another year where like there were enough things up there where, I'm, where I was going to be happy with whatever won. And we got Conchita. Like, like we were talking about on Friday, Mike, there were six things where I'm just like, these are all great. I love all of them. I'm, I'm happy with any of these. I can't really predict what's going to happen. The fact that I cannot argue with what the top five were, mm -hmm. can't really argue with what the top 10 were. Yeah, I don't feel like that there's any entry that was undeserved to be in the final. There are some that I like more than others, but I think a compelling case could have been made for every single one of those 26 songs competing in this final. So more of this, please, Eurovision 2022. Mm -hmm. uh, yes. <laughs> agree. And, and I'm extra excited that this is the first Eurovision that many Americans will have seen because a lot of people watch the Eurovision movie. And I actually had a coworker who, when I was saying, hey, everybody, it's Eurovision season. I'm going to only send you this one message on Slack instead of bombarding you every day. Yeah. <laughs> but here's what this is and how you can watch if you're interested. And my coworker was like, wait, that's a real thing? I thought they just made it up for the movie. And I was like, nope, it's your birthday. It's a real thing. For many Americans, if this is their entry into the Eurovision Song Contest, that's great. I think it did a great job of having really good songs, really good performances, Entries that had both of those things and a lot of the the usual what the heck is ha even happening right now moments. So very, very pleased overall. Also, the production value just gets better every year, except for that one blip in the first semifinal where Ireland had a delay and the camera broke. Other than that, I don't remember any big major issues happening. Having the cameo by the Yaya Ding Dong guy, like that, 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 that was a huge hit in, uh, in the room here. It's like, oh, it's the guy from the Eurovision movie. It's like, oh, good. People saw the Eurovision movie. This is good news. So, yeah. yes. Okay, that does it for our coverage of Eurovision 2021. We did it, Mike. <laughs> now we get to go take naps. It's going to be great. Yay, naps are my favorite. <laughs> Congrats on another great year of the Year of What podcast. And, and thank you for joining us, Ryan, to kind of break down this year's contest. 
Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Is there anywhere online that people can follow you or anything that you would like to plug? Uh, nope. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My my social, like, even I'm like, okay, friends, I will see you once a month. Don't talk to me otherwise. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. Big mood. But thank you for the opportunity. I appreciate Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, so since this is the end of our on season, we're going to take a little break because we have earned it. Then we're going to go into off season mode and we will be back every other week to dive into the wonderful history of Eurovision, find some cool trends, find some exciting stuff. I'm very excited, Mike. I am too. We have a lot of ideas already coming to fruition, and I'm very excited about the slate for the rest of this year. So that's going to do it for this episode of the EuroWhat. Thanks for listening. The EuroWhat podcast is hosted by Ben Smith, that's me, and Mike McComb. That's me. You can follow the EuroWhat on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the podcast app of your choice. If you'd like to support the show, we're also on Patreon at patreon.com slash EuroWhat. Show notes are in the description of this episode and on our website at eurowhat.com. If you'd like to contact us, we're at eurowhat on Twitter, or you can email eurowhatpodcast at gmail.com. Next time on the eurowhat, we'll compare and contrast the live-to-tape performances from the Eurovision Song Celebration with what we saw on the Rotterdam stage with our special guest, Bree Booker. 